0: Good morning from New Zealand and welcome to another edition of the Blind Podcasters Roundtable as part of the Blind Podmaker Club here on Clubhouse. If you're not following the club already, please feel free. And if it says in your bio somewhere prominent that you are a podcaster or you can let me know that you are, I'll also make you a member and that will allow you to start rooms here on the Blind Podmaker Club. And I'd really encourage people to do that. We want this to be a space where we can all share our knowledge and I, for one, will love tuning in to anything that you create about podcasting from a blindness perspective, whether it be the mechanics, the technical side, anything at all, really, is most welcome relating to podcasts and uh, how blind people can do that. Now, this is a first because we are continuing to progress the whole blind pod maker concept. So, a reminder if you're not on the blind podcast creators email list, you can send a blank email to creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. That's creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. And because we're going to be trying to podcast this, we're going to be bringing in our guests via clean feed. So you should have really nice audio from the guests, but the guests will going forward still be able to hear the questions that you ask on Clubhouse. So it all promises to be very slick and Someone who has some very nice audio coming in over clean feet is our guest today. Dan Kelly is with the Ohio State School for the Blind. They're doing some really innovative things with audio and podcasting and uh, their young people. And I know having been to some of these events and, and lighthouses and venues around the United States and indeed the UK, actually, some of them have amazing studio and audio facilities. So, Dan, it's great to have you here. I appreciate you doing this.
1: Well, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, First, I'll just say thank you for this opportunity to talk about uh, what we're doing at the School for the Blind with audio and podcasting and and music production and and things like that. And anytime I get an opportunity to to talk to people about what our kids are doing, um, I could probably talk all day. So really, really glad to be here. Thank you so much.
0: What I'd like to do then is just leave it to you to tell us about what's happening at the school and uh, the program that you have, and then when you're ready, we'll open it up for questions and um, see what the audience has to say.
1: Sure, that sounds great. Um, I've always been fascinated. Let me give you a little history and, and background a little bit first to kind of tell you how what we have now came into being. I've been messing around with audio probably since I can remember, you know, back when we were you know, cobbling radios together to make a radio station and, you know, patching different cassette decks and so on and so forth together. So it's kind of been an interest for me. And uh, when I got to the School for the Blind, there's, you know, a lot of the students were, were interested in making audio uh, or, or, you know, messing around with amplifiers and instruments and things like that. And I started to, um, to wonder about using audio as a teaching tool, uh, because when I first became a teacher, a, a TVI, was probably 1997, yes, is when I started there. Um, we did a lot of group instruction, so I teach technology there. That's that's my main gig, so anything with a battery or a plug or a mic or a, that talks or enlarges things or puts dots on the display, which we all know about and use every day. But I uh, did a lot of group instruction then. Uh, so if I was teaching, uh, you know, my computer lab full of kids how to do a mail merge or, you know, how to edit using JAWS or whatever, we could kind of do that at one time. And as time went on, the the groupings got a little more diverse and people, you know, the, the abilities were a little more diverse and people learned in different ways. And I had some JAWS users and some users that are using Zoom text or Magic back then. So I had to think about doing small group instruction. And um, I thought, well, I can record my lessons. And we were getting out past tape recorders and things like that. And I was thinking, I want to do this in a way so that I can save these files and push them out to, to students when when they need them or when I need to teach that lesson. And uh, there was a guy across the pond that wrote this tutorial called Forging Ahead. <laughs> that, I, that I got. And it was uh, Jonathan Mosin you know, wrote the Forging Ahead tutorial for SoundForge. And uh, so I got my hands on SoundForge and then listened to that tutorial and it was often running. And of course, there was a lot of shows on ACB radio back then about recording audio and and saving it and exporting it out to MP3 and so on and so forth. So that's kind of where it started for me, um, saving these files. And it could have been from anything, how do you do things on your note taker? How do you, you know, how are you doing things on the computer? How do we... Uh, You know, make material that you get because I got to think about my juniors and seniors. You know, whenever they're getting material from the mainstream, um, how are they going to make that material accessible for them? Um, Either doing it themselves or how do they advocate to talk to somebody about what they needed? Uh, If they get a PDF that's just an image, how we're going to convert that into something that's that's usable? So, made a lot of informational audio files like that in 2017 the vocational department at the school decided to start doing a podcast. So this was, this was not my uh, creation by any means. I I inherited it about six months later because she took another position with another district and says, I really want to keep this podcast going. And I was thinking this would be a great way to have like an audio newsletter about what's going on around the school. Right, and it will keep everybody connected. We can have our alumni people come back every month and, and talk a little bit, having a little alumni focus part. we could there's all just a ton of things. We can cover athletic events and you know, just send that out and, and people could listen to that uh, because we were talking about the yearbooks too, and I was like, well, it would make sense to do some kind of DVD or something, you know to go along with the the print yearbook. You know, we get a Braille yearbook that has titles of pictures and, and so on and so forth uh, that, and has matched up with the print page numbers and all that. But I'm thinking, why not bring some real live atmosphere and, and really capture the memories of what's going on? So the podcast evolved from one class that would put out one topic every month and they would stick to that topic. They're working on conversation skills, social skills, um, talking about things that they're doing and in the workplace or down in the vocational department into this whole school encompassing thing. And when I started doing this, this this added another dimension on it for me um, in terms of how I teach kids how to use the computer, because I had another amazing light bulb go off in my brain about when you're teaching audio, these are transferable skills Because the same things that I was doing in SoundForge and later on with Studio Recorder, which is another excellent program, uh, it has a very simple interface, and it it just works. But all these things that I'm doing in here with audio are the things that I've been teaching kids how to do in Microsoft Word, you know, uh, cut, copy, paste, insert, delete, you know, uh, editing for spelling and grammatical errors, and then with the sound you know the audio files you're doing the same thing except you're working with audio and what's what's more fun to work with you know audio will win that hands down and i thought this is great we'll get them on studio recorder i got enough copies of studio recorder to go around my lab and uh, started making audio production a part of my technology classes you know and i noticed a huge jump with what kids were able to do and other applications like Microsoft Word as a result of them working with the audio stuff and, and doing all the editing in there because they had a lot more fun. Then I had another light bulb go off in my head, and that was how can we use audio to enhance creative writing, right? Because you can you can write your story, and then you can then record it, and then you have to go back and edit because when you read, sometimes you'll flub a word here or there or you'll stick an um in there or like, you know, lose your place or whatever. And you get a big long pause. So you can go back and take those things out. So we edited those scripts like that. And then I said, well, now you can mix in, you know, some audio. get yourself a soundscape to back up your story. Um, so that has become a part of the podcast. Uh, some, you know, one of the milestones of it is generally around major holidays here like, you know, Christmas or, or Thanksgiving or Halloween. Halloween's a major holiday, right? <laughs> just get a bunch of candy. But uh, this year at, at Halloween, we, we just finished reading Beowulf uh, with the seniors in, in English class, the whole Middle Ages thing. And, and they wanted to make a story for the podcast about a villain, which was a dragon in this case, uh, that would come in to this queendom, because the English teacher is a lady, so it wasn't going to be a kingdom. So we're going to make this a queendom. Okay. So the dragon would come into the, to the queendom and take all the candy away from the kids. You know, they're out trick or treating the dragon swoops in, give me your candy, taking it to my lair. Uh, And so the two, there were two knights that were called in uh, to help the, the queen get rid of the dragon. And one, one knight was, you know, kind of bad cop. The other one was good cop. So one wanted to fight and one wanted to, you know, talk wisdom and, uh, you know, find an agreement. So the story had a happy ending, but, uh, you know, so that was a project where we wrote the script and we did this virtually too. This was, this was probably one of my, my prouder moments of what my kids have done because this, this whole process was done virtually. Everyone had to record their parts at home. Uh, so we had we had the whole script written, and then we extrapolated everybody's lines from that from the master script. Sent them their lines, and they just read their part. And then they sent back the files. One of my students had studio recorder on her machine at home, and we we're using Dropbox. So you know we're sharing the stuff there in Dropbox, and she's able to take all those individual parts and paste them together in the in the master voice file and then we were able to go in and add music you know royalty free music or music that we made and sound effects that you know we've gone out and bought or or found that aren't that aren't copyrighted and and put that in and it just adds a whole new dimension to that whole writing process because when you're putting together the story you're also thinking about man, what else can I do to make it come alive? What's the extra dimension of putting in the sounds in the background? Um, so that that has been working out wonderfully. Now, the way that we're putting all this together is is sort of like how Jonathan does with his podcast. You know, if you want to make a contribution, you, you record it and you email it or, you know, you put it in this Dropbox. So we get recordings that are coming in from iPhones and iPads. Uh, we have some some small digital recorders. The Ultranex V12 Pro is one that we're using. And, there's, and I, got, I got an Olympus one as well that, that we're using. I've had some things come in from uh, Victor Streams and Bookport Pluses. And, and when you start getting into smaller microphones and sampling rates and things like that, the audio gets a little uh, AM quality sounding so it's it's harder to use that stuff but we bring everything into uh, into our podcast folder for the month and uh, anything that's not a wave file goes in the m4a file and I use gold wave to, to convert those files back to wave and um, studio recorder right now is the main editing tool that we're using in my classroom I have got um, a 16 channel behringer mixer that i connect to the computer via usb and i have four mics set up and people can it's a big long table this was like my dream table it's probably about 12 feet long it goes down the center of the room and uh, so when we came back from the pandemic you know i found this big plexiglass contraption sitting on this table that divided this thing into eight booths you know where you're surrounded we have plexiglass in front of you and on either side to kind of help reduce the transmission of if anybody had the virus so i don't know if it actually works or not but uh so anyway we were able to set up you know four of those compartments with a microphone and uh you know we could we could do our live interviews there in the studio and then you know we had our field recordings that are that are in the folder so We do that um, with a podcast class, and anybody who's in 7th through 12th grade can get in that podcast class if they have room in their schedule, Um, which a lot of times, you know, academics, those academics, they just get in the way or electives that they have to take, you know. uh, But mainly older kids are in that class, and I wanted to get younger kids involved as well, so I started an after-school podcast club. And so anybody pretty much can, can get in there. It doesn't matter what grade you're in. And when we were in person, you know, I would have probably 10 to 12 kids coming in and we would spend time, which is what I do with the class and the club is getting, getting the basics down, uh, learning fundamentals, uh, you know, where things are in the menus, how to use the menus in studio recorder, um, how to choose your input and output devices and what that means. And then once we establish that to start making some recordings. And I and I'm one, I got a, a music background as well, having uh, have an, a music education undergrad degree. So I'm I'm a sound before symbol kind of a person, meaning that when I taught music, I'm gonna, you know, we're gonna work on playing the instrument and getting the sound out of the instrument and 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 playing before we start reading the music. You know, because the music is like a guide. You know, so we make simple recordings at first, and you know, depending on the kid, I, kids I'm working with, and and where they're at, it may be something as simple as I want you to record yourself counting to ten, and I, you know, count slowly, count the ten, and then we're going to go back and we're going to take out the odd numbers or we're going to take out the even numbers, right? So there's some real basic editing like that, and that builds into okay, I want you to move whatever's at the, the, you know, if you, if you're, let's say you forgot to make an intro, you forgot to introduce your guest, Horrible. Right. <laughs> so at the end of the file, you know, oh, are, we're going to welcome so-and-so to this thing. So we're going to cut that from the beginning or from the end and we're going to paste it back at the beginning. So you just, it's a, it's a building process that I go through with the kids and we eventually get into, you know, mixing the audio and and normalizing it, getting the volume, um, which is probably uh, it seems to be very difficult uh, for a lot of the kids is, is, you know, getting the getting all the levels right. You know, it's just, you really got to have a good ear for that. And there's now there's, there's a lot of tools out there now we can use. And I'm excited to try Audiophonic as soon as I make some time to do that. Um, so. We go through those editing steps and we go through the organizational structure about, you know, where things are saved. And probably the most important thing for me is to use audio to reinforce literacy. You know, uh, you can be like a YouTuber podcast, of course, and just do it off of the cuff and say whatever you're going to say, and you can go back and edit that out later. But it's really helpful that if you're, you know, if you're doing an interview uh, or, covering an event is to have some things written down and to have a framework about how you want it to go. Right. And, and I convey this to my kids all the time is that, you know, you, you really want to guide this, this interview process, even though if you're interviewing the principal, you know, the principal is in your house and you know, you, you kind of want to guide the direction that conversation is going to go. So having some notes and having some questions written out and then being an active listener and, and to ask good follow-up questions is important. And I'll tell you, I had this this kid who was working on a project for me a couple of years ago. And I'd hear him talk. And then there'd be like this pause of maybe 20 seconds. And then he'd say his next line. And then I'd hear this pause again. And I'm going, what is he doing? I, I don't understand what And so I asked. I said, what are you doing? He goes, well, he goes, I'm letting Jaws play it and then i'm just saying what jaws is saying and then i listen to the next thing i pause it and i listen to the next thing I'm like I, I don't want you doing that you know you're you're perfectly capable of reading braille with a capital b so you know let's get let's get the note taker going or the braille display going whatever it was and and use that use those braille skills right um, so it's it's very important that the technology that that we are using is that we maintain that that literacy piece of things so you know, I'm, I'm very strict with my, especially my newer kids, about having things written down. Um, and, of course, you know, of course, I do have some, some totally blind students that are not Braille readers. You know, multiple disabilities, things like that. And they don't use Braille. They are auditory learners. In those cases, I'll say, okay, that's great. Um, you know, you can do that. You can pause it. You can listen to it. You can say it. But in, in the end, I want you to come off as professional and sounding as you can be uh, so that has worked out well uh, the other part of this that makes it happen is a very supportive administration because i get a lot of questions all the time from other schools for the blind around the country of, how do i get this started you know it's like well it needs to start at the top uh, your administration needs to believe that this tool is going to you know be effective in whatever areas that you know that you want to be effective is whether that be promoting the school or, you know, keeping everybody connected at the school or sharing what your school is doing and that kind of thing. And when I started the principal we had at the time, he says, I just want to hear this podcast before it goes live. Do you have a problem with that? I said, no, I don't. That's fine. So probably the first six months, um, he was, I would get it to him. So I had to have it ready two days earlier, right? So I'd give him time to listen to it. Cause I want to publish it last day of the month. Uh, you know, so it had to be to him by the 27th or 28th, unless it was February. And he would listen to it, and he'd, he'd approve it. And eventually he says, you know, I, I don't need to do that. I trust you. It's You know, everything is, is going well, and and um, they've kind of let me have free reign with that. And um, when it's published, they'll take the link, and they'll put it on our website, put it on our Facebook page, and other media outlets that they use. Um, so just been absolutely uh blessed to have that kind of support um from the administration to make that happen. Um former student of mine is now working at Washington State Washington State School for the Blind. They started a podcast out there. It's uh related to COVID and the visually impaired community, so it's called Blind COVID and you know, and he's just using a studio recorder, a laptop and a Yeti microphone and um you know he's he's gotten a few episodes out now and and doing real good with that so at this point if if anybody has any questions Jonathan if we want to open it up and and talk about those
0: let's do that and thanks so much that is pretty interesting that you're using the tool of podcasting to increase literacy skills, but also, I guess, to just ingrain those audio skills. I agree with you. When I first found SoundForge many hundreds of years ago now, I was struck by the fact that it was like word processing in sound. And I think in that Forging Ahead tutorial that you mentioned, I did make that analogy that because the conventions were so consistent with Mm -hmm. word processing, it kind of gave blind people a way into audio production that might not otherwise have been the case.
1: Word processing, both on the computer and and if you remember, like the older note takers where you would put that top and bottom marker in place and everything in between was selected, you know, uh, those those conventions were there, too. And uh, it really made things a a lot easier uh, to go back and forth for kids between, you know, an audio application like Studio Recorder You know, and their note taker or word, whatever they were working with.
0: I'm curious about whether anybody has gone on to do audio related things. You mentioned your student who's now at the Washington State School. Are there other examples of that? Somebody who's really got the audio bug and perhaps got into audio engineering or had their whole sort of future career trajectory affected by what you've been doing?
1: I have a student now who is doing video editing and audio editing on the side. She's a, a senior in high school, and she's very interested in following that. Uh, a student that graduated two years ago is very interested in doing culinary and having audio engineering or audio production be be kind of like a minor um, for that. And he's also into, you know, wanting to DJ parties and, and things like that. Um, but a few you know, I've had a few, uh, nobody that I know of yet who has really uh, gone out and made a mark in the professional arena uh, doing audio work, but I'm still hoping.
0: Yeah. People love to hear themselves coming back, don't they? And and when the production is finished and they get to hear the finished product, that's something pretty special, I think.
1: I think so. Yeah. I agree with you.
0: It is a photo of Robin Christopherson, which sort of reminds me of that old Goon Show sketch that... Robin will probably be familiar about, you know, here's a photo of a five-pound note or something. So um, welcome, Robin. You are the big test because this'll, this will ascertain whether my mix minus is working and um, Dan can hear you. So go ahead. Hello. There we go, Robin. Welcome. Wow. That was oh, lightning
2: quick, read. changing my audio quality. am <laughs> trying to anyway. Um, <laughs> really, really interesting. So, yeah, my um, question is on a technical... Um, Uh, side of things technical process if you are you've got some audio you bring it into your editor of choice and then do you have some top tips about how you first treat that audio so for me in audacity i've recently discovered um a plugin called compressor and i'm i'm very uninformed about what these different processes due to the audio but a friend of mine said that's the first thing he does and it's really good it brings it into about minus four and i know that there's you know you can then um take it lower or higher or you know i think minus 12 minus 14 is the kind of norm but anyway this um brings it up to a level where and it does other things to the sound it sounds really good i'm not sure what it does but um it brings it to a level where it doesn't blow out peaks but it takes the average Uh, audio level to about minus three minus four don't know how it does it but it's really really good and um because i know so little about what i'm doing but i just you know know which thing which buttons to press what would um do you guys know about you know what these different filters or um, plugins do and Do you have any top tips about which ones to use and whether they are kind of generically available across different platforms? You know, is compressor
0: a thing? I'll throw yeah. it open to Dan in a sec, but yeah. I think the first thing I would say is that when we talk about minus 3 and minus 4, it's really important to be clear what we're measuring, because if it's minus 4 dB, that's going to be probably okay, actually. But if uh, you're using LUFS, which is a more common way of looking at audio these days, that's where your minus 12 and 14
2: oh, comes in. Cause I was, oh, right, okay. Because I have heard about that number, and I was thinking, well, I don't really want to take my files down to minus 12 dB. No, you you probably don't. But
0: um, minus 14 LUFS is the standard that Spotify and a number of other services like these days, which is actually quite loud. Because if you look at the European standard, which I think still applies in the UK the European broadcasting standards down to about 22, uh, minus 22, 23 LUFs. So 14 is very loud, but Amazon likes that, and uh, so does um, Spotify. So I tend to go to between negative 16 uh, negative sixteen and negative 14 LUFs. Have you looked at Orphonic, Robin? Just unmuting myself. Yeah, yep,
2: I love it. Um, yeah. I do run it through that. I'm a little bit um, wary about all of the controls on that page on that screen so i tend to leave them as they are and it does a really really good job i use a a little app called levelator on mac oh, os but they don't which does a later. similar yeah. and job it's it had a new lease of life on mac lately yeah. i understand yep and it's free yeah and it does a really really good job um so well, how many dbs is minus 12 or 14
0: luffs See, that's the thing. It's a different kind of measurement where it Uh, it essentially looks at the entire file and comes up with a kind of a a consistency about how loud the whole file is. If you normalize to a particular dB value, basically you're looking at the loudest point. So, for example, if you laugh (laughs) uproariously when you are recording a podcast and then you negative, uh, say, 6 dB normalize, then it's going to take that loudest point and basically normalize to that value. So if you're much Everything softer and you're quite a soft-spoken soft. person for the rest of the time, then the level is <laughs> yeah. going to be very low. But with LUFS, it's a bit more intelligent about the way that it's looking at the entire file rather than the loudest point in the file.
2: Before I knew about using a compressor plugin, I would, because um, it's usually a vocal file, but there are going to be some hot spots, like you say, mm. particularly if somebody goes or something like that, that's a real spike that, um, you know, if you just normalise, then the rest of the audio is going to be really quiet yes. um, if that's your peak. So I would be selecting, you know, a couple of seconds of, in quotes, normal volume speech from the track, and then I would just up it all to about minus 3 or 4 dB, but then I would get some hot, you know, spots that would um, distort. So,
0: yeah. yeah. So a compressor will help you there. And to, to answer that specific part of your question, I th- I, I've never... I tried Audacity a few years ago and could not get any sound out of it at all and was just sort of put off from then on. But I understand it's become a lot more accessible and and things these days. Um, But all of these tools have their own native compressors. Reaper's got a bunch built in, for example, which I'm now working exclusively in Reaper. It's the only door that I have on my system now after having used Studio Recorder for many years um, but they all have them. Uh, I'll throw it open to, uh, to you, Dan, because I've been nattering away here for a while.
1: Oh, that's that's fine because I'm glad you brought that question up, Robin. Because it's an area where I'm constantly growing myself, um, knowing what to use and how to use it to get the best results. Um, you know, getting all the levels right. Um, I my ears. I've been letting my ears do the work, and doing it that way, it, it does take more time. Uh, to go through each piece of that, but mainly if I get something then that sounds very low, I'm gonna I'm just gonna bring it up um, to a, I don't know what were we saying like minus six dB, you know somewhere around that seventy five percent margin. Uh, but I'm excited to look at audiophonic and and see what it'll do and look at the the file as a whole uh, versus. Going through the thing and making minute adjustment with levels and things like that, so I don't have a good technical answer for you. I'm still learning that. And when I go back and I, if we look at the podcast from 2017, I think I started in September. The the sound quality is has improved as time goes on. Um, So some of that is equipment, obviously, in in the way the microphones that you're using and, and things like that. And some of it is just is you know for me, it's just been. Learning what to do when I get it, and how, how it sounds through the headphones, and and how that's going to sound later on if I'm going to listen to it, like say if I'm going somewhere in a car and listening to it on the speakers. Um, I've made those kind of mistakes where it just sounds really great on the headphones, and when I listen to it, you know, live. Uh, On speakers, It's just, you know, the panning was too much. The reverb was too much. uh, And it's like, oh, gosh, I want to flush that one back down and and, and just redo the whole thing. But um, it's been a learning process for me and and still will be.
0: I've learned that the hard way, too, that it's really important to listen on a range of devices because, (laughs) you know, what sounds great on one doesn't sound so good on the other. Uh, Orphonic is really interesting. For those who haven't used that, there are two versions of it. One is a cloud-based version, which has slightly more features and you sort of rent it. So they give you two hours of free audio per month. And then you can buy audio uh, hours and data packs, essentially. And then they have a standalone version for Mac and Windows that you can purchase, which doesn't have quite as many features. And they have two flavors of Orphonic in both cases. One is a single-track version and the other is a multi-track version. And because so many of us are doing multi-track interviews now in the pandemic, or rather remote interviews in the pandemic, the multi-track version is really amazing because uh, you can, for example, use a clean feed, which we're using to bring Dan in, or any number of other tools like Zencaster, Squadcast, Remotely, that we talked about a few weeks ago here. And you can get a separate track for every speaker who's a a part of the interview. You can take that into Orphonic. And what Orphonic does with audio is a bunch of things. It compresses it, so it it applies some pretty nice, gentle, dynamic audio compression. Uh, Some people over-compress, and cause things to sound breathy and punchy and things like that, so Orphonic does a lovely, gentle gentle job of taking care of that. It also applies a little bit of equalization, and that's intelligent. It can also optionally do noise reduction, which is great if you're getting contributions from a range of people who... Might have a little bit of hiss in the background, that kind of stuff. With the multi-track version, it will also do things like um, EQ each speaker separately and deal with crosstalk. So, with some of these multi-track services, sometimes you get a bit of bleed through from people's headphones when you ask a question. You can very faintly hear yourself. Mm-hmm. and it's re- it's really frustrating. So, Orphonic actually takes care of all of that and eliminates the crosstalk in the multi-track version. It is a slick tool and it can allow you to do in a very short time just by running it through Orphonic a lot of things that might take a podcast engineer quite a long time to do, Uh, you know, and there are purists who say you can't beat the doing it the hard way. And that is probably true. But if you're in a hurry, uh, you're a bit daunted by all the options, then the AI of Orphonic is pretty, pretty slick, actually.
2: And I would add to that that the presets, um, if you don't change anything, if you just upload your file and set it going, this is on the online version, then for the purposes of um, speech and, in my case, um, people kindly demoing A-Lady skills,
0: soup drinker skills, (laughs) it does a really, really good job.
2: I I listen um,
0: every day to your podcast, Robin, (laughs) waiting for you to say soup drinker. Waiting. (laughs) (laughs) I'm hugely gratified. Now, this could be a completely um,
2: uh, erroneous assumption, but whenever I I hear another podcast or some, you know, chat in a clubhouse room, for example, and somebody says, a lady, I'm thinking, was that from, you know... My podcast, because I that's how I
0: refer to her. So. Yeah, and I'm absolutely um, certain about the soup drinker when I hear it. And I do hear it. Yeah, of course. I know. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, just a very quick comment, because I'm, I don't want to, you know, hog the stage. But um, you mentioned some nice, gentle, dynamic compression. And I'm just intrigued, because I don't know what that means. Because in the dialogue for the compressor, before I run it, every single time I bring a new file into Audacity, um, it has a lot of... Uh, settings. And if you read the help pop up for it, it explains at great length what it is. But it, you know, I need a kind of a layman's interpretation Um, because it's doing something clever.
0: You're welcome to help me out, Dan, and others can can chime in here. But what I would say about it is that it, it very subtly turns the volume up and down so that you don't know it's doing it, but everybody sounds at an even volume.
2: Yeah, because it talks about attack and decay yeah. and stuff yes. and um, dB levels and things, but it's not a levelator, which is where I am getting a
0: bit confused. I guess it's not a, a leveler. Or I mean, I, if you set your compression and your limiting correctly, you could get the same effect as levelator um, right. you, you, with with the right. So, so limiting is obviously going to bring the loud sounds down. And compression is sort of going to turn up the soft sounds. And when you when you get the right mix of compression and limiting, that's essentially what levelator is doing. Did you have any comments, but, Dan, before we go to Renee?
1: Well, I think what you could also do is just out of curiosity, you know, go through those settings and put one of them at the extreme end. Yeah. And and, and just see what happens, you know, and go back and listen to it and you know oh that's you know, that's what that controls. Uh Kind of a lay, layman way of doing it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've done that just to
2: and it has a figure out
1: what those button. things mean. Yeah, you can preview the result
2: without doing anything to the file, which is nice.
0: Yes, and yeah. and you, even if you apply it to the file, there's always the undo command, isn't there? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. You can't break it. Thank you so much, yeah. Robin. Really appreciate Thanks, that. Yeah, That's That's great question. Happy summertime. <laughs> the thank clocks you. have gone forward there. Let's talk to René now. Hello, René.
3: Hi, Jonathan. It's René here from Denmark. Uh, nice to have you here. So Okay, thank you. I'm about to start a new uh, podcast for sighted people about how it is to be blind. <laughs> and uh, I have... Uh, uh, just a week ago I had 11 Danish blind people uh, on a course about Reaper and then we talked about if you have some tracks with noise on it and some other tracks with clean sound music or something then it could be an idea to not make noise reduction on the music tracks the clean tracks and only on the tracks with noise. What do you think about this uh, theoretic thing?
0: Oh, for sure. I can't think of a reason why you would apply noise reduction to music tracks. So, what you want to do with noise reduction is eliminate uh, hiss. So, for example, uh, I use Isotope RX. I, I splurged out on the advanced one uh, a while ago. And there's just a wee bit of hiss coming from. Uh, Dan's uh, audio. So when we do this in post-production and we do the podcast, I will just run a gentle pass of Isotope RX on that track. And uh, that's one of the beauties of working in a multi-track environment like Reaper and similar. Uh, Amadeus on the Mac, Logic Pro is also Uh, Mm multi-track. You can take an individual track and just apply the effects that you want on that track. So no, I, I personally can't think of a reason why you would put noise reduction on a music track
3: oh then then we say we say the same thing yes because what i asked for it was if you use orphonic to make the noise reduction then you can you can select not to do it with the music tracks
0: that's right with the multi track version of orphonic you can so you can yes open up each track and you can decide so, which effects you apply so if i was doing a multi track processing in orphonic the way I structure my podcast is I have uh, sweepers and jingles and things on one track, and I just tell Orphonic not to do any noise reduction on that track.
3: Thank you, Jonathan. We do it the same way. Yay! Consensus. And I was I was with on uh, on your podcast course some years ago. Right. It was very nice.
0: Well, thank you. I remember that. Yeah, and I'm, gl- I'm glad glad um, you got some use out of it.
1: What was the one you mentioned, the isotope?
0: Oh, yeah. That one is the sort of industry standard for – I mean, oh. that thing has everything in it. Um, it has a de-breather. It has de-click uh, for, for for mouth noises. It has deplosives. plosives So sometimes I get contributions from people who are way up to the mic and popping peas, so I apply a bit of uh, – Uh, Deplosive Isotope RX to that It also has this really cool thing Called a spectral This is in the advanced version A spectral noise repair So sometimes I do an interview with someone Who is in a slightly echoey room And they might be using something Like AirPods or something like that uh, and I can run it through isotope and it does an amazing job of actually repairing that audio to make it sound halfway decent eliminating some of the reverb in the background uh, just eQing it so it sounds a bit more similar to me it, it's um I mean it's a powerhouse it's it's just amazing what that thing does but it's not cheap unfortunately well not not the full version anyway And we will talk to Christopher now hi Christopher.
4: Yes, uh, uh, hey there, and and, uh, uh, good to have you on my podcast. Actually, it it it, 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 it is out now. I didn't tweet about it yet, and I haven't been very good about tweeting lately because we've switched to my website feed exclusively, and we're using um, uh, Libsyn only for audio file hosting at this point. So I'm like, all right, all right, you know, uh, as I've uh, as I've said before. But yes, uh, in uh, in uh, in talking about it, I I have actually. I'll I'll actually tell you how I did yours. (laughs) Funny enough. So, so, so what I did, so I have Logic Pro and I have put in, so, so, so as I've told you before we started, I, I actually use two, I, I use, thank God, I use two tracks. I'm actually very glad I set this up and I use loopback on the Mac because, uh, because my interface gives me a mobile, my, my M audio mobile pre, which is my audio interface, my two channel input interface going on with my mains of my mixer is giving me a zero DB, uh, stage whenever I turn it all the way down because, uh, because, um, because my mixer of course gives me like a negative what 12 or 15 db not luffs. And it's, it's, it, 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 it gets a bit a little low just in my view. I mean, I could certainly do a compressor and gain it and that's what, and I, and I have done that in the past, but, but, uh, but, but, but because it was both me and, um, and a guest, I'm like, forget it. I'm just going to use loopback because I can't do multiple output devices. I mean, input devices in logic, which to me is ridiculous unless I, uh, Unless I oh I had to figure something out, but anyway, no. So, 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 so what I did was I actually applied a bit of uh, um, a little bit of compression. I did add a limiter inside of the compressor to it. So it's so it's so it's 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 the, it's the uh, stock compressor, and then I used um and then I used a little bit of expansion. To take out, uh, to take out all that, and then I did actually to t- to take out the other like the hiss and the quiet noises because it just it and and, and, and actually I think or, or was it a noise gate I I forget what I did but I think I used either a noise gate and a reduction of like I don't know negative twenty or thirty or so so it would so you could so you could still hear a little bit of the noise but not much at all so so it 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 uh, it it actually sounds quite good. Uh you you um you you I actually did I, I did, of course, because of how uh eh, not very great in my view, the Heil sound at flat EQ. I actually re-EQ'd the Heil, obviously, too. And uh but but uh but um but no, it 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 uh it it sounds quite good. Um between a sure SM seven B with a pretty hot gain and some what, uh, well, compression and gating. And then your hi high with a little bit of EQ and whatnot. It, 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 it definitely works. I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that all phonic is accessible on windows, but I do use Mac OS primarily for my audio work. So I'll have to be interested to see because I, because, because I do use Dropbox to archive my projects and MB3s just in case, because I did get a new Mac about six months ago. So, um, I'm actually very glad that I did. Now migration assistant does work, but you know what I mean. But, but but that's that's for another day. But no, so but no, that's 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 pretty much what I did. I, I didn't really do quite honestly too much besides that. I mean it it actually sounded quite good. I just I, I kinda just leveled it. I leveled this all out with gaining in the compressor and it it uh it works pretty good. So yeah, that's 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 how I've done a bit. Now, yes, I could use the level meter for sure. Uh, in the master channel strip i could use the LUFS meter but yeah no it, it it's uh it's not bad i i i really liked what uh how it uh turned out
0: yeah i am a huge fan of the high pr 40 it's it's an amazing instrument of a microphone and it it actually for me it requires very little uh eq or or tweaking you can you can run it pretty much flat and it sounds as good as it does it's um i, I love that mic um you mentioned yeah. Um, the rogue amoeba stuff. They have you played yes. with that down on the Mac because they've got audio hijack. They've got loopback and
4: audio uh, hijack is the best. Yeah, a bunch of right
1: bunch now. of accessible yes. tools there. Yes. Yeah. So, Chris, I'm going to have to use you as a resource as I uh, sojourn on my Mac experience. Uh, <laughs> I heard you mention about the input options because I, when I connected the mixer to my MacBook, it's it's only given me one. You know, one input, so I can't split tracks. Yeah, uh, so yeah. I was kind of like, is it my mixer that it's it's, it's that's the problem, or am I not? It doing depends right on the, the
4: mixer you have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number one, it depends on the mixer you have. Um okay. the, I I I I have a Soundcraft Signature Twenty Two MTK. I know Jonathan uh, Jonathan, you do have a <laughs> you you do have a um uh, an Allen and Heath, which is also a very similar uh, uh, Class for usb so 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 you also have multi-track when you install the drivers and so do i um my uh for 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 windows you have stereo pairs for for like what is it 12 devices or something and on mac os you have all 24 in one little device uh unfortunately some apps do not support multi-channel which is ridiculous now zoom thank god does skype doesn't i really wish they would change that uh uh, otherwise, though, um, but no, for for for, uh, for 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 loopback, what what I have done was basically ma- w- w- was was make, of course, a new device just for like interview sake. So, for my output channels, I have basically my interface, which is my two track equivalent of my kind of multi track, um, basically inputs twenty three, twenty four on my twenty two MTK mixer. Um, gotcha because of the, because of the louder gain structure. I have that on my first two channels. Then I have zoom on the, uh, second pair FaceTime on third pair, et cetera, et cetera. So I can level the apps all out. Um, I will have to definitely figure out, um, with other tools, how I'm going to level out guests on the same spectrum, but on the same app, but no, it's, it's, uh, I, 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 um, I do like loopback a whole lot. I, I I would like to see multi input devices with logic, but, um, because, because I would like to try to see if I can get just my mic channel and then have zoom coming up. Now I, now I, now I, 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 I have, I actually have done it. I actually have done it that way. I, I, I have rooted my masters, my, my masters in audio MIDI setup to, um, to uh <clears throat> three four because i have one two for my mics right so and, and and then i enable my usb returns so that's actually for three four so that's actually another way of um of basically rooting now i do have to use sort of a stereo and then just mono it out with a uh, with like a direction mixer or something in logic some um, imaging but no it's 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 uh it's 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 quite good because you can do it Either way, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what, what, what mixer do you have? Cause I'm not sure if that will support multi-track as a whole.
1: Well, it's, yeah, it's a, it's a Behringer. Blah, blah, what's the model? I can't remember. Is it
4: it is it a Xenex? Because if it's a Xenex, I think that's only a two track in and out
0: if I'm not mistaken. Right. I mean, I I think I think mm, I, I'm yeah. personally not a fan <laughs> of um, mixing mixes with audio interfaces. So my my yeah. mix is analog, yeah. but my audio interface is um is obviously you know you've you've got uh, eight inputs and six outputs. Um, oh yeah, that's and right. I, I personally prefer that. The other thing I would say, and I, we do have to move on to Matthew in just a second, but the one thing I would say is that it is really easy these days to record very good quality remote audio with nothing but a good browser and uh, you know people can consider what the right tool is for the job for me zoom is an amazing audio conferencing tool but it's not a good. Oh, yeah. It's not a good podcasting tool. Cleanfeed is a vastly superior one because you can record yeah, each speaker on on their own track. It's using the Opus codec. It's broadcast oh, okay. quality. It's yeah. using. It's designed in um, Britain for broadcasters, and they've actually brought people in live from home for the pandemic. You can uh, transmit very good quality audio with Cleanfeed. But Absolutely. even even better than that, for some people's use cases, you've got the double-ender solutions, which actually record local audio at each person's uh, local computer and then upload the results later. And so you've got okay. tools like Remotely.fm that do that. On Recaster that we talked about, although that seems to be going through a bad patch at the moment. It's in beta. Uh, so there are quite a few of them that record local audio which is obviously yeah yeah, very very good but so i think zoom for me for recording podcasts would be way down the list of suitable options these days yeah yeah
4: yeah that's
0: true yeah yeah Mm. all right let's talk to matthew hi matthew
5: hello jonathan hello everyone it's lovely to be here um you're talking about products on this call, which I have, but probably don't use. So I have some Isotope stuff. I have a recent copy of SoundForge and I have a copy of Isotope just kind of bundled in, which I've never really used. Uh, it was just there. And similarly with Orphonic, I have Orphonic um, and use it to put chapter marks in. And that's basically all I use it for. So I feel like probably I should be using this stuff a bit more. Um And I was wondering, I mean, I've got lots of questions and the answer to most of them is probably going to be have a play and see what works. But I was wondering what order you do things in, because I imagine, I mean, I've got loads of Orphonic credits, but if I'm running every track through Orphonic separately, then that's going to eat credits up quickly. So I'm just wondering, yeah, do we do Orphonic last or is there a precedent for doing Orphonic first and then tidying up the output in a multi-track?
0: Well, the nice thing is that if you use Orphonic multi-track, then no matter how many tracks you feed it, you're only charged for how long the actual production is. So even if you send it five tracks for an hour long file, you're not charged five hours. You're only charged for one hour.
5: Oh, that's useful. Yeah. Okay. And then does it spit out five tracks at the other end in a zip file or does it combine it all into one file
0: when you're finished it will come back with a mix in whatever format you've told it to create whether that be an mp3 file so what you can do is you can what to answer your question specifically i would do all the production necessary at my end first and the final step would be to feed it to Orphonic, because then it will produce for you an MP3 or M4A or FLAC or whatever format you've asked it to produce, ready to upload to your podcast service.
5: Okay, so I can't run it through Orphonic and then get a zip file of um, tracks if I want to check that it's done the crosstalk properly?
0: No, what you'd end up with is the final mix, um, because that's really the only way to to check that it's done the crosstalk properly is to... is is to hear that final mix
5: sure okay and can you how much control do you have over that final mix so if i want the interview slightly left and me slightly right can it do that
0: no you'd want to do that in your own production so what i do in that situation is so we've done roundtables, particularly after the iphone announcements for example where we might have a bunch of people on clean feed and i pan them slightly differently so we get a stereo spread. I do that in Reaper and then feed it feed all the tracks to Orphonic and each track is already panned where I need it to be on the stereo spectrum. And upload down. Yeah. Yeah. So that's why I'm saying that Orphonic needs to be the absolute last link in the chain.
5: Okay. So you're uploading a bunch of stereo files that are pre panned. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. That makes sense. And then it just does a, a nice job of it. Yeah okay well there's there's lots more I could ask, but I think that's probably given me the impetus required to just go and have a play with
0: this stuff and see how well it works. Well that's very disciplined of you I thought you had a whole big list there
5: <laughs> well I mean i could I could go on I mean you know i the, the <laughs> I, well I mean I've got the isotope I don't even know what I've got this is the thing I need to go <laughs> look I think it's like r x eight elements or something yeah sounds mm-hmm. that sounds right vaguely familiar so i mean how how competent is that compared to the full version that you have
0: um it's got a lot in it do you what what do you produce in what audio editor do you use
5: oh gosh um I'm learning reaper slowly right i was hoping you'd say that
0: because with reaper a lot of those isotope plugins that you have in elements not all but most appear as vst plugins and so it's very easy so let's say for example that i get a contribution and there's hiss in the background and things like that i can actually just press f on that track to bring up the effects list and choose the isotope noise reduction and press enter and it analyzes what the noise is and reduces it. It's really as simple as that. Now, there are some tools in Isotope RX that are not VST plugins, and you have to go in and grapple with their user interface, which, in my view, is not optimal. But for those basic things no, like depressives and noise bad. reduction, it's all there.
5: Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask about that. Is the user interface as bad as the installer? Because, I mean, it was all I could do just to get the thing installed, and that was kind of what put me off yeah. using it, to be honest.
0: They have come a long way, but they've got a long way to go, man.
5: <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. All right.
5: Okay. Well, I'll go and play. Um, this is this is, this will be fun to play with, and I'll probably end up remastering a load of old episodes because uh, now I've got loads more tools to do. Well, if the, the Beatles job. can Remind do it, me- so can you. <laughs> Yeah. Um, just remind me very quickly, uh, you have said it already, for which I apologize, but what was the tool that you use when you've got a really bad sound off a pair of AirPods?
0: That was the Spectral Denoise option, which belongs to the full version of Isotope, um, the advanced uh, version. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, so I've got to go and buy that. Well,
5: let's see what we can do without it. Yeah,
0: it's a bit of a pain in the bleep, that thing, in terms of its um, accessibility. But, boy, it's it's amazing what it does. One thing, for since we've talked about all this sort of stuff, one podcast I would highly recommend, and it's, it's a mainstream podcast, it's called The Podcast Engineering Show. And uh, the guy who does it, Chris, I forget his last name, actually runs a podcast engineering school. He's quite dynamic and fun to listen to. And he does two things with his podcast. He gets people on who are producing podcasts and geeks out about their audio production things. And I learn about all sorts of plugins that I sometimes buy and use once. (laughs) And then sometimes Mm -hmm. I learn about plugins that I actually use a lot. And then the other thing he does is he does this thing called Chris's Goodie Bag where he highlights new gadgets and plugins and things that are available uh, that he thinks are worthy of mention so if you geek out on the audio stuff do check out the podcast engineering show it's it's great to listen to
5: yeah it's also dangerous to listen to <laughs> <Yeah>. um <laughs> because bonnie would agree with yeah, you oh yeah you're talking about all this stuff that i would love to do and you go oh it's only it's only 10 pound oh it's only Oh, it's only a hundred pound. You yeah. know, yeah, I can yeah. buy that. No, yeah, well, totally. I've only used it once, but I bought it now, and that's kind of the trap that I I don't want to fall in. I have a workflow, and I'm very happy to improve that workflow, but I don't want to just, you know, I, I'm, I'm operating on a fairly minimal budget here, and um, yeah,
0: and yeah. sometimes you can just tweak yourself so much that you you don't know what you're doing. I mean, you, you sort of lose track of what you're really here for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah.
5: yeah, and then you end up with 3 plugins that do the same thing and you're using all three of them because they do it slightly differently and you're sort of going, yeah, okay, could I just get this down to one? Um, so, yeah, no, I'll look at that show, though. I also listened to The School of Podcasting, which I think you also listened to. And yes, that's got with Dave
0: some... Jackson. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, yeah,
5: Dave's fantastic. He wrote a book. I'm also a musician, and he wrote a book called Get Your Band Out of the Basement, and that was actually what got me onto The School of Podcasting because his
0: music stuff was absolutely brilliant as well. Yeah, no, he's a, he's a great guy, and he's been doing this for a while. Yeah, yeah, lovely. Thank you, Matthew. Well, appreciate. Thanks that. very much. Good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. And and Dan, we're going to wrap up. Have you got any closing comments? I really appreciate you being here to have a chat with us about all you're doing.
1: Well, thank you, Jonathan. I really appreciate you having me on today. Now, just you know, check it out sometime and see what these kids are doing. You just search for OSSB, and there's two of them. There's the OSSB podcast, and there's one that. One of our alumnus started called OSSB Inside and Out. So uh, we put it out once a month and um, just amazed about what audio can do. Uh, in and out of the classroom so thank you very much
0: that's a great initiative thanks very much for telling us about it so ossb as they say wherever you get your podcasts and uh, i'm sure that'll be i'll check it out myself that sounds really cool so thank you dan and we'll we'll have you back again sometime in the future really appreciate you being here and uh, thank you for being a part of the blind podcasters roundtable just a final plug if you are not on Our Blind Podcasters Creators Group, and you'd like to geek out some more and talk about everything to do with podcasting, you can send a blank email to creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. That's creators-subscribe at theblindpodmaker.com. We will see you next week.